I just love uh, working with uh, founders who have very disruptive ideas, who are sort of thinking um, afresh uh, about a, an unmet need or a poorly met need and are, uh, are out to sort of disrupt in a, in a constructive and positive sense. Hey guys, welcome back to The Back Yourself Show. Today we have Craig Fenton. His day job is he works for Google, but in spare time, not only does he own a record label, he also runs an incredible fund and invests in lots of startups. This guy has a lot of wisdom to share. So take a listen, lots of great tidbits in here, and I hope you enjoy it. What's your current role at Google? What are you doing there? I'm a lead strategy in operations. Uh, so uh, the name's pretty descriptive. So that that's uh, planning the business. And um, we generally have a one-year plan. We uh, we now uh, will will again have a, a longer term plan. Uh, we pushed pause on that during during COVID because it was difficult enough to predict next week, let alone let alone uh, three years or five years into the future. And then the operations part is running the business to that plan. So uh, things like defining how uh, we measure success, uh, we call those OKRs, uh, objectives and key results. Uh, how we organize ourselves and present ourselves to the market to address the opportunity that we uh, have defined um, in the plan, organizational design, in other words, uh, investment, so where to put the headcount. I, I manage headcount and uh, operating expenses and this sort of thing, uh, all the way through to uh, engaging, uh, hopefully thoughtfully, with um, with industry bodies and uh, sometimes government about uh, our, our broader context. Pretty cool stuff because obviously like Google, sexy brand and also everything you do is at mega scale. But Google's like, it's the ultimate startup, right? You know, it was a, a little startup for a long time and now it's absolutely massive. Does it still have that kind of mindset there? Yes, I think so. I mean, the, uh, Larry and, and Sergey, um, you know, set out to, uh, to, make their, uh, the, to make the business sort of feel like a, a startup um, right from the outset and, and, and keep it um, being in that mode. So, for example, even though we've got 140,000 employees and you know a reasonably scaled business and, and definitely a global business, uh, we we still uh, I think respond um, and uh, uh, and act pretty quickly where we see a need to do that, whether it's uh, to serve a user a need that's unmet through a product uh, or to respond to a crisis like we did in COVID. You know, getting um, accurate, verified. Um, you know, NHS type information to uh, to the public about um, uh, about the facts of COVID. You know, that was something that uh, that we played a role in, as well as those mobility reports that you that you saw the Prime Minister and his team talking about from from time to time. Um, so, you know, just um, trying to be useful and uh, and acting uh, acting fast. We do a lot of experimentation. We sort of take a, a leaf from the Agile book. We operate cross functionally. Uh, we like to pilot, experiment, iterate, change, scale, or uh, or ramp stuff down if it doesn't work. Uh, all of these things are fairly typical in startup environments. And remember, some parts of our business are are, are really are uh, startups. They're sort of challenger businesses. You know, Google Cloud Platform, for example, very much a challenger business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, so totally true. Also, a customer, so I can high five you for that. Um, so, how did you? <laughs> Funny. You're a GP at a fund and you've got a huge portfolio. So like you're quite unique as a as an investor because you have a daytime job. 
you know, like you're, you know, you're, you're doing, you're doing that all the time at a, at a super high level, but you're also supporting loads of startups and it's really exciting. So like, tell me about it. Tell me about how you, first of all, tell me about your fund and the kind of things you invest in and then tell me about how do you get those two to work together? Sure. Yeah. So um, actually, I think in my experience, I, I started out as most people do investing as an uh, angel investor. So that means an individual who typically does have a daytime job. You know, it's not the only yep. thing that they do um, with a few exceptions, but most of the angel investors I know uh, have, uh, have day jobs. Uh, I am one of those. You're yep. one of those. Okay, there you go. And um, yeah. and I, I just love uh, working with uh, founders who have very disruptive ideas, who are sort of thinking um, afresh uh, about a, an unmet need or a poorly met need and are, uh, are out to sort of disrupt in a, in a constructive and positive sense in, in the sense of, you know, change the change the uh, user experience of a, uh, of a particular domain. I find that really energizing, interesting. I get to meet a lot of people who are very different from me and I really get energy from that. I love it. I learn a lot uh, from them. I think I learn at least as much from the founders I, I work with uh, as I hope they do from me. And, um, you know, after, after you sort of make a number of uh, startup investments, I think I've got 14 startups in my personal portfolio at the moment. You start to think, well, how can I um, how can I scale this? And and typically the best way of doing that is to cooperate with a broader group of people, and that's essentially what a venture capital uh, fund uh, is. Unknown Capital is the name is, uh, of ours. I've got uh, two general partners and myself, um, so three general partners in total, and we um, do it a little bit differently. So most funds uh, are called funds because they raise money up front. And then go and invest there, and and the investors, you know, obviously believe in the the VC and trust in the team, uh, but um, are largely at the, you know, at the discretion of the the general partners and what then happens subsequently. In unknown capital, we we're doing this on a deal by deal basis, so we do have a private membership uh, of limited partners or investors. We call them members, and uh, they they get the opportunity to opt or opt out on the deals that we source, uh, validate and present. So it's a, it's a little bit different. How do I make it work with a day job? Um, for me, it's a question of balance, actually. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, some people might knit or play tennis or paint uh, or uh, run. Um, I like to invest. You know, I, I find it interesting. I find it calming in the sense that it's completely different. Uh, it gives me balance. It's, it's different from my day job. And I think like anything in life, it's a matter of uh, being intentional about it and, and uh, scheduling time. Uh, so most of my investor activity happens outside the, uh, the Google hours. Yeah, I bet. So, so it's kind of like, it's a bit like a syndicate model um, with your with the fund. Yeah, nice. That's really cool. And so what kind of stuff are you looking for? Like it's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. By the way, I think it's, a, it's, it's an amazing model. I think that's one of the problems with, someone who's got money in funds, like is you sort of give it over to someone and say, like, I'm going to trust you to go and do everything. Now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you'll be like, I don't know if I would have made that decision. And it's a bit of a leap of faith with your, your hard earned cash. And so having the opportunity to opt in or opt out of something, but certainly with someone like yourself, with your kind of experience, it's obviously going to be pretty good stuff brought forward. Actually, I raised a question. So how do you get your deal flow? Where are you finding these businesses? Are they coming to you or are you meeting them through your Google connections or whatever? How's that happening? All of the above, uh, really. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So a lot of them actually come through LinkedIn or through contacts that I have on LinkedIn. 
Um, it's a great professional platform. I really like it and uh, use it a lot. I think it's a really uh, interesting professional environment uh, for us to uh, uh, to operate with. And um, you know, for years I've I've um, set myself a target of meeting two or three new people a week. Tom, you're one of them uh, this week. And uh, there you go, tick. Uh, and um, you know, I, I I just find people fascinating and. If you sort of set out to do that, um, your network very rapidly ex expands, and a lot of the, the connections that I make are, uh, are through or businesses that uh, that I source come through those connections. Maybe they're the people that I've met themselves, or they say, "Oh, you must talk to so and so; they've got a really interesting idea in in, uh, in this company." And just a word on the on the VC thing, um, I I, uh, I think there's absolutely a place for the fund style. Because you know some investors want to expose themselves to a higher risk asset class, which is what VCs do um, uh, within a diversified portfolio. But they just don't have the time. The market that we're appealing to um, are the are the more active investors. I would say the family offices or uh, the individuals who have a, a you know who who perhaps don't have time to do the sourcing and due diligence, but they do want to be active in the decision making. Uh, and I think that's a that's a, an unmet need or a largely unmet need in the investor market. I love that. Yeah, I think also, Craig, like being, um, I think that's such a, a powerful thing. Like people forget that serendipity is a superpower, but it's something you can optimize for. So if you're constantly meeting new, great people, then you increase that opportunity to meet other great people who will then bring you a great opportunity. Like it's absolutely the smartest thing to be doing. So what kind of stage do you look at? Mostly seed and pre-seed. So we're, we're early on. Uh, we're starting to get a little bit into the Series A side of things. And you, you can do that. Most angels will be at the sort of seed and, and pre-seed because the ticket sizes are just smaller. Um, mm. Once you start getting into Series A, you sort of, you've got bigger, much bigger ticket sizes, investment amounts. So um, with the with the force of the um, the VC structure behind us, I think we'll start um, looking more at some of those uh, early, at least early Series A type companies as well. That's cool. It's the, I mean, look, for me, it's the most exciting stage. By the time we get to Series A, like you're like, it's, it's not venture capital anymore. It's boring capital. Like, yeah, we already know that you're doing well. It's just, just giving you a bit more fuel. You're meeting a lot of great people and i imagine because you meet a lot of great people and you know you're a bit of a linkedin celebrity i'm happy to give you that banner the um the that it's you must get a lot of people coming to you and trying to impress you what is what are the kind of the characteristics or the things that really get you excited when you meet these people i think probably like most other humans you know we we find interest in in um in meeting with people who have a perhaps a different perspective a a, provo a provocative angle on something that you know well, you're going to kind of learn from or uh, get some energy from, uh, even if you disagree. Uh, so, um, you know, when I when I get approached, as I often do on LinkedIn, I really appreciate the courtesy of somebody sort of um, knowing uh, their audience and 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 being thoughtful about, uh, let's say, addressing a topic that um, I might be interested in or they think I might be interested in. In the same way as you know, if I rocked up to you in a pub. Tom and, and started chatting. I'd, I'd ask you a lot of questions. I'd, I'd be curious and, and want to know more about who you are and what you've done. And um, you know, most most humans uh, like that. You know, they find it engaging. They they like dialogue to be two way and thoughtful uh, and personalised. So all of those things. Yeah, I totally get that. I think it's that thing, isn't it? When you um 
certainly for me, whenever you meet someone new and if it's stilted, it's a difficult conversation, you're a bit like, yeah, this probably isn't one for me. Yeah. And that doesn't mean they're a bad person, but it's just like, that's how it flows, isn't it? And you just kind of get that, don't you? Yeah. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So tell me about... Um, so look... Be- you can't come to show us and not talk about a bit more about Google because everyone is always fascinated by Google. It's just that it has this sort of mystical element to it. I think oh, there it's in the background there. I think it just has this thing where like, it's very much an aspirational brand and it's something that people always want to work to, but people always see Google as best practice for a lot of things. Okay. Now you've been there for what, six years? Coming up on five years. You're coming up on five years. And so how did you how did you get there? What because that you're um you've got your own record label, you've got your fund, you're an active investor. But what led you to go to Google? Yeah, most of that happened after I joined Google actually. That's right. The reason I asked that question, sorry, let me give you some context there. What I you see a lot of in the startup community is ex Google. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mean it's a lot of people being like, Yeah, I was at Google and now I'm doing this. So it almost feels like a breeding ground for entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, whereas you've gone the other way. Yeah, I think it's um yeah that's a that's an interesting observation. I'd not I'd not sort of thought of thought of it like that, Tom. It, it is a breeding ground for entrepreneurs. Most of my um, colleagues who who leave Google will go into a startup or into a business um, that's scaling uh, of some of some sort. That's the most common exit point. Very few would sort of jump over to Facebook or or one of the other sort of platform uh, companies and uh, land a big tech. Because it's kind of more of the same, just with a different logo on the front. Of course, it's not more of the same, but you know what I mean. Uh, these are very different companies. But um, yeah, what, so what led me there? I was um, many years actually. I started my professional career in um, in the northern hemisphere um, after MBA. Uh, I did a London, uh, London Business School MBA, and I started a company called Accenture. Actually, it was Anderson Consulting back then, and Accenture is. Uh, Management consulting, but very much uh, with a technology heritage, and most of the big work that Accenture still does today has a digital and technology component. So I'd been involved in one shape or another in many different countries in Europe in uh, working alongside companies who were going through some sort of digital transformation, reinvention, disruption, perhaps. And I've always found that a, a very interesting space to be. After um, eight different roles over 16 years, um, I had been offered a, um, a really interesting global role. Um, and Accenture is a great company. You know, I had a really great experience there. Some of my great friends are still there. Uh, and it was a cool role, but I felt that my learning curve had somewhat flattened. And I'm the sort of person who likes to be comfortably uncomfortable, right, in the sense of you sort of don't really know what you're doing and you're kind of having to learn it learn it pretty quickly. Uh, so I sort of took a, a step back and sort of asked myself the question, what's my why, right? What's the thing that I'm passionate about? And I really love to build things or change things. And I like to do that in the context of uh, technology, because I find uh, everything that we perhaps take for granted today still to be quite magical and um, leveling. Uh, you know, it's a great democratizer technology in terms of access and opportunity. Uh, so I, I wrote myself a short list and said, great, I've got this option at, at Accenture. What else might float my boat? 
and had a pretty uh, short list. And I literally um, looked up, I Googled who runs Google because I didn't know. Uh, in Europe, the answer to that question is a guy called Matt Britton, fantastic guy. Uh, and I pinged Matt. I said, hey, Matt, I'm Craig. Uh, you know, I, I love this industry. Here's what I think is happening. These are the important forces. Um, uh, here's what I think it means in terms of the implications and the opportunities. I'd love to have a chat. It wasn't an overt um, me sort of hitting him up and asking for a job. I was genuinely interested in meeting him, you know, along the lines of, you know, meet two or three new people a week. And um, it, as, as it often works out, one thing led to another combination of luck, timing, serendipity, perhaps a, a few skills that were relevant. Um, I landed, I landed in, in Google and, you know, it's been a wild ride. I, I love it. But what, the other thing that's brilliant about uh, the company is that, is that it encourages and, and, and provides the freedom to explore passions that may be outside Google. At, you know, without having to make that binary decision to leave. And that's what's led me into a lot of the stuff that you, you talk about, the record label, the film and TV production company, the investments that I do. Obviously, I, um, I work pretty hard to avoid conflict along the way. And we have some, a great team that helps us, uh, uh, helps advise us on that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it's a great tribute to the, the company that I have that uh, luxury, that freedom. And it's, um, I think it just makes me a better Googler as well. And that's really where it's coming from. Well, first of all, Craig, I mean, that is a pretty sensational story about how you got your job at Google. I mean, that's pretty good. Pretty ballsy. Straight out to the boss and be like, hey, buddy, my name's Craig. Let's talk business. I love that. <laughs> it's good. I also like the fact that you gave him, you like, you obviously did a, re I mean, look, as a career sales guy, um, you know, uh, I don't like the idea of someone just sending someone a message and then that they're working. There's obviously some science behind it. And the fact that you've just shown, you've just created so much credibility with the guy. Um, you know, in that initial, because you've just shown your value, you've shown what your skill set is, but in a completely non-offensive or um, a way. And I really, I really admire that. And so it's no surprise to me you absolutely smashed it. What a great story for the listeners to um, give us some advice there. I think also it just shows that like the worst someone could do is not reply. Exactly. Do you know what I mean, like, what's the risk of doing something like that? That's it. Like, if he hadn't replied, you'd get another job somewhere else. Yeah. Um, just as cool, right? You know. So like, yeah, you absolutely would have smashed it either way. So. Super inspirational. You own a record label. I mean, look, that's the coolest thing ever. When my kids grow up and I have to say to them, you know, what what does daddy do? They'll be like, he does something to do with computer games. They're not going to give, they're going to be like, it's all right. But if I said to them, I own a record label, I'm the coolest dad in, the, you know, in that queue at school picking up at the end of the day. Yeah, I want to be able to say I own a record label because that's pretty, that's pretty sexy. So tell me about how that came about. How'd that come about? It was really, um, I sort of fell, fell into it. I didn't sort of set out to think, you know, I'm going to do a record label because uh, that's, you know, I've always wanted to be in the music business. Um, it, I, Are you a musician? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> no. I was going to say not really. <laughs> not, but not really. Then I remembered the voice of my wife. No, I'm not. Uh, definitely not. I like music, like most of us do, right? I, music yeah, moves yeah, yeah. me, it, it evokes uh, an emotion, it up, uplifts you, it calms you, depending you know, on the type of music you listen to. And I find lyrics really interesting. It's a form of poetry put to a, put to a beat or a, uh, a melody. And, um, you know, I, I love music. I love live music. And, um, you know, I enjoy, I, I enjoy it. I'm passionate about it. Uh, but I've never really wanted to be, um, you know, I've never set out to be a, um, you know, record label exec or anything like that. 
I was actually working with a couple of young men, uh, one from East London, one from the south uh, of London, a place called Mitchin, um, in a sort of mentoring capacity. I was disturbed and, and put off by what I sensed was an increasing polarisation in our society. And I think that showed its ugly head in an extreme way during, uh, you know, in the uh, in the 16 referendum, the Brexit uh, vote. And, you know, that's not a political statement, you know, whether you're for or against Brexit, I don't, I don't care. But what it did expose, I think, is a division in society where you've got a big chunk of people who are sort of fairly, um, you know, privileged and, and had a good time and, and are beneficiaries of everything that we count as modernity and an increasing section of society that just feels sort of marginalised, pissed off, left behind. And uh, as a technology executive, that is a great paradox because if, you know, these days, if you've got a smartphone and an idea, you know, the world's your oyster. You can start a micro multinational company. You can become a creator. If you're a musical, you can record and release music. And I kind of wanted to figure it out. I wanted to get into the, the world of somebody who's, who's from a less privileged background and understand uh, what the drivers were and learn from them. So I was working with these two young men. Both of them were very interested in music. Um, one of them um, really moved me. Uh, both of them did, actually. But one in particular really moved me. Um, he'd only ever dreamed of doing music. His name's Quasi Court. He's a rapper. He's from Mitcham. And he's only ever wanted to do music. And, you know, when you're from a, a less privileged area, a hard uh, suburb with not much money, not many good role models, you know, perhaps a broken family, um, you know, it's tough. You kind of don't know how to navigate that and how to achieve what you want in life. Uh, and he was drawn, as many are, into a pretty nefarious lifestyle. He took to the streets, and that was the way he earned his money and, and bought himself the time to do the lyrics and the recording, etc. Um, but broke away from that life about five years ago. His, his friend was shot in the head and killed, and his cousin, who was only 15 at the time, was stabbed, and he survived, but got a hot head and went round and killed the guy, and he's, he's now serving an 18-year prison term. And in combination, that was the wake-up call that Quasi uh, needed. And he said, right, I'm going to do music. I'm determined to do this, but not like this. This is not my narrative. So I met him after he'd sort of taken that courageous decision to, to take the long and the hard path. And I felt the guy needed a break. Um, so I you know, had a long meeting with him. I was helping him think through budgeting and marketing and that sort of thing. And we initially set out to do a Kickstarter campaign. But problem with Kickstarter is if you don't reach your target, you get nothing. And he could have landed right where he sort of in square one, where he where he started. So I Googled um, how to start a record label. I found this company in Liverpool called Ditto um, that do record label in a box. Um, I'll have one of them. So Big Community Records was born um, and I went and signed Quasi. And we set out to realise his dream, which was to release an album that combines grime and rock together. Uh, and that album came out in the middle of COVID, COVID lockdown last year in July called Blood on the English Carpet. It's eight tracks. Uh, and I think it's wonderful. We've done five music videos. But the mission behind uh, Big Community Records and also Big Community Productions um, is to address this thesis that talent is largely evenly distributed, but opportunity isn't. So if, if I can, in some small way, 
um, give somebody a break um, who deserves it and, and make a difference, then I will. And at the moment, I'm expressing that through a, a music label. And it's lots of fun as well. Yeah, but, I mean, great. That's absolutely sensational. Look, yeah, hats off to you and you. Thanks so much for, for doing it. I mean, it's such an important thing to do. And I, I love that phrase you use about you know, talent is even but opportunity is not. That's a, it's a really powerful statement. Okay. Um, it's quite a very moving story. Actually, the whole the team notes. is from that background. The creator is quasi the artist, but the videographer, uh, the person who does our marketing, the person who does our social, the person who does um, uh, the, uh, the artist liaison work, the organization, our creative program director, they're all talented people from less privileged backgrounds who need a start. Wow. That's cool, man. You see, you mentor a lot of people, you see a lot of startups, you've started your own business in a record label. What is one piece of advice that you would give to every single founder or budding entrepreneur? I think you've got to have a conviction and confidence in your vision, but a humility to flex with that vision. Um, so as an investor, I, I sort of see a number of founders, obviously the t table stakes, it needs to be a good idea that addresses a real need or an underserved market with with uh, a good opportunity to scale um, and uh, and disruptive, you know, it represents a change that's that's valuable uh, to people, to to users or customers. Um, and we we meet a, a lot of founders, and there's sort of two ends of the spectrum. You can sort of probe and ask the hard question of the founder, and they sort of just dissolve and say, "Oh, well, you're right." I mean, you know, and you know, give it a poke, and it all sort of falls down. And then at the other end is the sort of dogma, uh, the dogmatic founder who's who's got this ironclad vision and can't listen or even sort of take on board uh, feedback or challenge, right? Uh, now, you need to be determined and you need to be perseverant, but uh, finding that balance between the two where you're in equal parts um, humble uh, and prepared to learn and listen, uh, as well as confident and perseverant with your idea at least directionally um is uh, is the right is the right sort of uh, balance i would say i love that really okay and what is a common mistake that you see founders make i think the the venture capital market in uh the uk and uh in many large western cities is you know is pretty uh big uh it's not hard to raise money and um and there's a lot of money, you know, out there that people want to invest. So um, I think it's tempting to become too mechanical and too transactional and think about, you know, what's the thing that everyone wants to hear that's going to get me uh, money in the door so I can sort of sprint to my next raise uh, and lose sight a little bit of, of the user experience. Uh, so I think you have to be a first and foremost as a founder, a, a student, uh, an advocate of the user, of the customer, and be really clear about how it will feel to consume your product, whether it's a service or a, or a physical product, um, and not get too caught up in the sort of mechanics of the raise, because uh, that, that can be distracting, and the value at the end of the day uh, is directly proportional to the, the value that you add to your, your, your customer. So you really have to be that advocate of the customer. And there's lots of really good examples of successful business. Jeff Bezos, you know, from Amazon is a great example of that. Larry and Sergey from, from Google founded it on the basis of um, this obsession with users and, and creating value. Um, no better formula. I love that. All right. 
Craig, this has been better than I could have hoped. It's been so cool. Thanks so much for uh, for coming on. My pleasure.